This is Shayla Adams-Stafford, and you're listening to PBL in Practice. Our guest for this week is Brad Sieber. Brad has 18 years of experience in education, teaching both 7th and 8th grade social studies in a suburban middle school, working as an instructional coach and project-based learning coach, and also as an assistant principal in an urban expeditionary learning school. For the last eight years, he served as an assistant principal in a large comprehensive high school. Brad has had the privilege of serving on the National Faculty of PBL Works since 2010. He's been trained in cognitive coaching, IB, and also expeditionary learning. He lives in Caramel, Indiana with his wife, Rachel, son, Brock, daughter, Ella, and their dog, Teddy. Let's jump into the show. Brad, we heard a bit about your background, but what else should our listeners know about you? So uh, I was uh, born and raised on the south side of Indianapolis in a city called Franklin, Indiana. And I come from a family of educators. So my grandfather uh, was a high school teacher. Uh, my mom uh, was an elementary school teacher. My dad was an elementary school teacher and then principal and then he became an assistant superintendent. Um, my wife is an educator as well. Uh, and my aunt is a teacher and my sister-in-law is a teacher. So uh, I kind of come from a family of educators. Um, <laughs> so it's it a is, good it is. <laughs> so if your kids don't want to go into education, yeah. are they oh, still yeah. cool? They still For sure, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> Uh, well, I want to tell our listeners, Brad really was the one that helped introduce me uh, to my work with PBL Works. I was uh, doing my very first facilitations with him, so I always credit all my cool facilitation nice. moves to him. So thank yeah. you so much, yeah. Brad. <laughs> I feel like it's kind of vice versa. I feel like, you know, maybe I was in the organization first, but since that time, you've uh, you've certainly pushed my thinking and, and I think made me a better facilitator, so... Thank you. Thank you very much. So talking about project-based learning and facilitation, tell our listeners what brought you to PBL. What brought me to project-based learning, I think one of the things initially is uh, I was a a struggling math student. And I think one of the reasons that I struggled with math uh, was because um, I didn't see the application of of the math and I didn't understand, you know, when it applied uh, to the world and, and didn't understand when I, when I would use it later. Um, and so, uh, that was always like, that's always important to me as an educator, like this focus around application and that there's a, there's a why behind the content that we're learning. And I, I guess what initially really attracted me to it is when I was an instructional coach, after I'd been in the classroom for, for several years, I had the opportunity to, to be an instructional coach and we would go to all these amazing professional development opportunities and trainings, and we'd learn about differentiated instruction. We'd learn about technology integration. We'd learn these great literacy strategies and, and techniques and, and writer's workshop and reader's workshop and it's all these great strategies. But I'm a bit of a holistic thinker. And so uh, I, I just wondered, like, hey, is there a comprehensive framework that uh, that sort of encompasses all these things that I'm learning to be best practice. And, um, you know, that's when I stumbled a- across project-based learning. And 
I, I got this book and it was at that time the the old Buck Institute PBL handbook and it was it was a spiral notebook looking book. Um, <laughs> this was like I think 15 years ago when this came out and um, it, it it became project based learning to several teachers at the school I was at, uh, which was Ben Davis High School on the west side of Indianapolis. Uh, they they started to become interested. There was this, this small group of teachers that that wanted to look for something that was that was really engaging for students and was authentic learning and some inquiry. And so, like there was a, there was a group of like five of us that really uh, kind of dove into this book study and learned a little bit more about it. Um, and then, like that core group of teachers, uh, really were passionate and kind of got the word out and. Uh, uh, a couple of years later, it became a big part of the school improvement plan uh, in, at Ben Davis High School. And so uh, I was asked to, to help lead and facilitate some of the professional development around that and uh, was able mm-hmm. to uh, attend uh, some training with the Buck Institute and uh, attend attend some conferences and things. So that's really how, how, how I initially got into project-based learning. Yeah, and since then, you have work not only as a teacher, but as an instructional coach and as a school leader. And remind me again how large your school is. So uh, right now, uh, I'm, I'm taking a, a year sabbatical from Carmel High School uh, on the north side of Indianapolis. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, we have uh, over uh, 5,400 students uh, right now. A lot. So, of yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So what would you say is your PBL superpower? Um, my PBL superpower. Uh, I think uh, if I were to focus on some of the elements, I would say uh, probably uh, sustained inquiry. Um, you know, and I, I kind of look at that as uh, trying to have a high percentage of the activities and and discussions and direct instruction that you give based on student generated need to know questions. Uh, so their questions are really going to the, the heart of the content. Um, and, and sort of being able to adapt uh, instruction uh, based on that. So I would say I would say that would be that would be one. Thank you. And you know, this is the point in the podcast we're going to take a bit of a shift from our normal line of questioning. <laughs> and we're going to talk about PLCs or professional learning communities because while sustained inquiry might be your superpower, PLCs within a PBL school or a PBL framework are really your passion. So I want you to talk to our listeners, um, especially our school administrators that are really trying to implement PBL well within their schools. What are the top three mistakes that you see school leaders making with their PLCs? The, the top three mistakes school leaders making with their with their PLCs? Yes. So I would think, uh, first off, like <clears throat> having like clear expectations of of what we mean by professional learning communities. So, you know, there's a lot of different models to a point where <clears throat> it's become like a bit of a like a buzzword. And, you know, I know that a lot of different publishing companies have have really you know written a lot of texts around PLC. So. Uh, clearly defining what we mean by professional learning communities and um, what what expectations we we have for them. Um, I think too, uh, 
ensuring that teachers have a level of autonomy uh, in, in, in determining, like I believe in some like loose tight type, uh, uh, leadership style. So I really like Rick DeFore's model of professional learning communities where everything's centered around, uh, four basic questions. What do we want students to know? How do we know they know it? And what do we do when they don't? And then what do we do when they do? Um, so, you right. know, if, if those are sort of the, the, the parameters, then, uh, allowing teachers to have some some autonomy in in and having those inquiry inquiry conversations. Definitely, definitely, and I think that one major sort of component of a PLC that really gets at the heart of what are students doing and what do they know is collecting student work. Can you speak a bit more about yeah, that? Yeah, so so I think. I think there's 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 another aspect here around like ensuring that there are some checkpoints with with PLCs and the conversations are truly focused around around learning. So um, I, I believe uh, that the uh, sort of ideal PLC, there are conversations around both uh, qualitative data. So that would be like student work and high quality student work and evidence of that learning and application of that learning, and also quantitative data. So, you know, still having conversations about um, some traditional tests and standardized uh, tests or multiple choice questions or, or maybe common assessments. Because, you know, I, I believe that, um, you know, powerful learning and, and project-based learning students can, should be able to excel in, in, in both to some degree. So, you know, I, I really believe that when we think about professional learning communities, I believe that um, those conversations, you can have some conversations around pedagogy and methodology, but I think it's really powerful if you are really talking about evidence of learning that's taking place first, and then let those conversations around learning drive the conversations around methodology and, and pedagogy. All right, so Brad, Talk to us a bit about what you view as the best practices to leverage PLCs to support PBL. Sure. Well, I think I think again, it's it's important that that we clearly define what exemplar professional learning communities and teacher collaboration time should look like, sound like, and feel like. I also think that it's really important, and uh, when we think about best practices. Like from a leadership standpoint, I think it's really important that um, we understand that that a PLC team, the, the leadership should model what they what they mean by an effective PLC leadership team. So, you know, I think in an ideal situation during, uh, you know, say department chair meetings or administrative meetings, what what we hope teachers are are talking about and the protocols and conversations that they're having the ideal situation, leadership is, is are modeling those things. And, and it just becomes sort of the way we meet and the way we talk as a school. You know, it's not just something that teachers do or just something that we're telling teachers to do, but it's something that 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 leadership is modeling as well. Um, yeah, I really like that point. I want to just really quickly uh, expand on that because I think it's interesting when leadership has a way of being and a way of communicating with each other, but 
the the PLCs are expected to behave in a totally different way. So, for example, if in your leadership PLC meetings you're throwing up a problem of practice, allowing people to ideate, coming up with solutions, but within the PLC model, it's like give and get. You know, it's just like direct instruction, or you know, people really aren't getting an opportunity to collaborate. Um, I do think that the modeling is a really key point. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think you know, just as just as you know, we hope uh, that we as teachers we we model the behavior we expect to see ourselves that we want our students to to do. I think you know um, the best leaders they model the behavior that that they expect to see, you know, within whatever organization they're they're in. You know, um, I, I guess more more easily said, like you know, practice practice what you preach, lead lead by example, uh, and and you know, I think that certainly uh, you know pertains to to, to this work. But, you know, with, with your question, um, when we talk about best practices and leveraging both PLCs and, and PBL, I think, I think it's important to first sort of look at why. Like, why, why do we believe in project-based learning? Why, you know, why, why is that the instructional framework or methodology that we value so much? And, and I think that's an important conversation to, to think about. If you're using project-based learning, uh, you know, to 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 revisit the why. I think particularly too, like if you have a school, like why I'm interested in this work is if you have a school that are doing professional learning communities but not doing PBL. I think I think the question is, okay, so um, how do you define rigor? How are you measuring uh, students' application of learning? How are you ensuring that students are seeing the connection of the content in a real world context? How are you measuring uh, 21st century skills or core competencies, whatever your school calls them, uh, and, and, and tracking growth on that? So if you're just a PLC school and not a PBL school, like those would be some reflective questions that, that I would hope are, are being discussed uh, in, in teacher collaboration time, you know, during that PLC time. So I think, I think then that answers the why of, why of project-based learning. Like, um, you know, recently I've I've really been interested in Dr. Michael McDowell's book, uh, "Rigorous Project-Based Learning by Design," and I like his definition of rigor. I think rigor is such a buzzword in education, and his definition right. is this: right. rigor is an equal intensity of surface-level learning, deep-level learning, and transfer-level learning within the context of a unit of study. What I like about that is when we talk about surface level learning, we're talking about key vocabulary, key facts. We talk about deep level learning. We talk about compare and contrast, cause and effect. And when we think about transfer, that's application of that content in a different context. Or in, in the case of project-based learning, a real world context. What I love about that is I think a lot of times a pitfall and a weakness that I have had at times as a PBL practitioner is maybe I haven't given enough acknowledgement to the surface level and the deep level learning. I get excited about project-based learning because it starts with a driving question that's at the transfer level. And that's really exciting. But I think we need to be really intentional about teaching students the surface and the deep level as well. Now, in contrast, in like a traditional setting, I think. A lot of times in traditional settings, we're good at the surface level learning and even the deep level learning, but sometimes a gap is the transfer level learning. 
you know, students, students are learning key terms right. and key facts, but they're not seeing the real world connection. You know, sort of like what I was telling you about, you know, my my struggles with math as a math student. And so I like that because I believe in that idea. Like we need to have, we should have an equal intensity of surface deep and transfer. And really it should be within the context of a unit of study. Um, so, so, you know, I, I think that uh, when we talk about best practices with PLCs and PBL, uh, what, what I like is this idea that if, if you're only doing PLCs, my question is, how do you define rigor? How are you ensuring students are learning at an equal intensity of surface deep and transfer, as well as growing in things like 21st century skills and social and emotional learning? And then if you are a school that only does project-based learning and doesn't have time for teacher collaboration, my question is then, how are teachers, uh, how are teachers feeling supported? And, 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 and how can they sustain uh, this work that takes that does take uh, some extra time to plan and think through and, and can be challenging to, to implement. So, you know, how are you allowing that time for them to be able to do um, some focused observations with each other, some time to really look at analyzing student work, back to the qualitative and quantitative data, and just that ongoing encouragement and support with each other. Absolutely. And I hope all of our listeners that are school leaders are really taking that to heart that if PBL is something that's on your strategic plan and you're diving in, you know, this upcoming school year, or this is something that you're currently deep in now, teachers need that collaborative time to come together to reflect, to support one another through project-based learning. Because it is getting at that deep level of understanding, that transfer level of knowledge that teachers need support in order to engage and coach their students. So you're absolutely right there. Brad, can you give us an example of a really successful PLC that has truly supported PBL work within a school? Yeah, the best example that I have seen is was in a small school within the Parramatta Diocese outside of Sydney, Australia. Uh, it's a school called Santa Sophia. It's a, it's a brand new school, and, and I didn't actually get to sit in on the PLC team meeting, but I did get to spend several hours talking to students. And here are the things that I heard students say that showed me that there were some, some highly functioning teacher teams at this school. So first off, you know, students clearly articulated their learning intention. So their major concept of what they were learning and they articulated their success criteria. So the daily learning targets. And, and they did that for each PBL unit that they were working on. They went beyond just restating the driving question the students were able to answer their the question themselves. What do we want students to know? It wasn't teachers talking about it. It was students being able to articulate that. Wow, that's awesome. Um, students stated, you know, which level they were currently in. So they were able to say, I'm at the surface level of my learning right now, or I'm at the deep level of, of my learning right now. Or the last unit, I got to the transfer level, and here's why I knew I was at the transfer level. So again, that addresses that second to four question, how do we know when they know it? Like the students articulated, and it wasn't just regurgitating or reciting it. They were able to say like which depth of knowledge they, they had learned it. Wow. And, then, and then finally, 
after they talked about which level of learning they were in, like surface deep or transfer, they were able to talk about where their points of confusion were specifically or, or what the gaps were specifically in their learning. So if they said, hey, right now I'm at the surface level and in order for me to go deep, here's my point of confusion, here's my gap in, in learning and here are the next steps that I, that I need to take. And so, you know, again, those students, they answered that the four PLC question of what do we do when we don't learn it? They were able to articulate and answer that themselves. And, and you know, I, That's so, you know, I would just add that in an ideal situation, uh, uh, students would also be able to have articulate a learning intention around an identified social and emotional skill or 21st century skill. And 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 speak at it at, at at the same level. So, wow, that that's really fascinating to hear students be so invested in in really having a strong sense of metacognition about their learning, and that shows me that they are thinking about their thinking. And so, what inputs do you believe had to be happening? at the PLC level in order for that to happen? So in order for that to happen, I think those teachers obviously had a clear understanding of project-based learning. First of all, they, they had a clear understanding of the design elements. But then beyond that, they had a clear understanding of some, some importances within those elements. First of all, they were extremely clear on what their learning intentions were. And in addition to that, specifically clear on what success criteria should be. And, and they were able to mm -hmm. um, really break that down into the three levels, surface, deep, and transfer. And in order, in order for students to be able to talk like that, we know the teachers had, had to talk like that first. Be extremely clear on those learning intentions right. and, and be overtly clear. You know, I, th I think, too, um, they had to find value in the vocabulary of that. So like it had to be like commonplace that this was the language of the school. The language of the school was learning yeah. attention, success criteria, you know, driving question, surface level learning, deep level learning, transfer level learning. And and so it was just part of the culture. It, it wasn't like an add-on thing, it wasn't a buzzwordy thing. It was right. it was just commonplace. Um I think okay. I love that you mentioned the yeah. culture. Sorry. Oh, I, I, and, I, and I was just going to say, like, I think the teachers also had to have conversation around, you know, once the learning intention and success criteria are, are defined, like, okay, what are the tasks and activities we need to do at each of the levels, surface, deep, transfer? And then, you know, ensuring that there were clear expectations and probably exemplars, like what's an exemplar for surface? What's an exemplar for deep? What's an exemplar for transfer at, at, at each level? So um, it went beyond just let's talk about the elements of project-based learning. It went beyond, you know, how, how good is our uh, entry event? It, it went beyond that. I mean, that's important and that's foundational, but it went to right. let's really narrow in on, on these levels of learning. I, I love that so much. And I think that too often that type of conversation is hidden from students because we think that maybe they can't handle talking about, you know, this type of 
analysis of their own learning. And I think that that's crazy. And I really love what they've done there. And I, I think I'm going to definitely research the school and, and see if I can get some more insight on sort of how they're bringing that out of students. That's that's awesome. So we're getting ready to wrap up here. And I'd love for you to just leave us with a few tips that you have for PBL practitioners specifically related to leadership. So I think, you know, when it comes to PBL, uh, I I have a lot of scars and, and I think like sometimes I, I would much rather be called like a student of project-based learning than an expert of project-based learning. Uh, I, I just think like, I, I just have more scars and, and, and I've, I've been around the work for, for, for a while. And I think like the biggest, some of the biggest scars that I have uh, around leadership is, is this idea is like, um, I, I hate thinking that in some of the conversations I've had with folks, like I've made them feel like that they're not a good teacher if they're not doing project-based learning. Um, or, or at times maybe, you know, at times like they, they're feeling forced, like, oh, their evaluator likes project-based learning. So that's the way that I absolutely have to teach. So I think, I think it's important to understand that project-based learning is a how Project-based learning is not a why. Like our why should be around the qualities and characteristics and dispositions we want from our ideal graduates. You know, those skills that, that when we asked, people say collaboration and critical thinking and problem solving and empathetic and culturally responsive and, and, and socially aware. You know, that, that's, the, that's the why. Um, and... And, and I think it, it's important to understand that uh, project-based learning is a how to get to that why. And so the way that I would frame things as a leader, instead of saying, you know, we all need to do project-based learning or project-based learning is, is, is the, the best methodology, I think it should be as, you know, how can we ensure that students are getting an equal intensity of surface deep and transfer level learning? How can we ensure that students are growing in those skills that we believe we want our ideal graduates to have? In order to do that, we have to define what we mean by those skills and be intentional about giving feedback. And then if you have a, a, a class that's one year long, then you should be asking, how are we ensuring that we have one year's growth and one year's time? So I think framing it around those three things, equal intensity of service deep transfer, ensuring that we're defining and growing students and those skills we want in our ideal graduates. And if we have a one year long class, how are we ensuring one year's growth and one year's time? I think those should be the three key questions we should be asking instead of everyone needs to do PBL. Because I believe that PBL is, is, the, right. is a vehicle and I think it's the best vehicle that I have seen. I mean, I think it's a Tesla or Ferrari to get to that destination. But I think framing it that way is, is better than, um, you know, forcing people to do PBL that don't want to, because I think teaching is an art, you know, and I think at times force equals resistance. And, you know, if, if we as leadership force teachers to do this methodology, you know, and they don't have ownership in that or a voice in that, then we're going to get resistance or we're going to get compliance, which are two things that we don't want in PBL implementation. Right. 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 
Well, gems on us today, and I feel like I've gotten smarter. I hope all of our listeners have gotten smarter. Tell us how we can keep up with you after listening to the Yeah, podcast. so uh, I'm definitely on, on LinkedIn, Brad Seaver, and I'm also on uh, Twitter. Uh, my handle is just at, at Brad Seaver, and uh, I would love to continue the, the conversation. Uh, I love collaborating with folks. And uh, I, I just I just love I love learning about this. So uh, please, uh, if anyone is interested, uh, you know, reach out and, and get in touch with me through through those two channels. Awesome. Well, it's been a pleasure talking with you, Brad. Thank you so much. And thank you, Shayla. Have a great week. You too. Well, that's all from me today. Thank you all so much for joining us here on PBL in Practice. I hope you learned a lot. I certainly did. If you haven't already, head over to the website www.pblinpractice.com where you can get some free resources, hear past episodes, and also find out how you can work directly with me. Thank you again. I appreciate you listening and have a great week.